You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bolchevich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon. And welcome to the Bo's Nose Show, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. And we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, and it's another beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest. Whoops. (laughs) Sorry about that. and, you know, it's just been a day of glitches in some ways. Uh, I, was on, I was a little bit worried about getting on the air today because of all the strange things. We lost power today because a bald eagle flew into the power lines up, up by uh, Elmira High School and uh, unfortunately didn't make it, but it kicked the power off for our street for a while. Uh, and uh, But we got it back in plenty of time for the show here. Fortunately, I also have a generator, so I probably could have done the show, but it was a interesting afternoon. It's not every day you have a bald eagle fly into your power lines. Uh, so just seems fitting that we have music pop on the air there for a second for, for no reason at all. So here we are at the Bose Nose Show, but things did go right yesterday. And you know, we'll talk about that and a few other things, but I just want to remind you today's an uh, basically a free-for-all, open-line, uh, you know, First Amendment, whatever you want to call the show, it's your show, so you need to call in at 646-721-9887, and just press 1, and that lets us know you want to get in on the show, and you can control the topic today. So whatever you want to talk about, you know, I've got a couple topics I'll I'll throw out there, and talk about today, but you know, this is your show, your opportunity to talk to your county commissioner, uh, or just talk about anything you want to with the folks of uh, Lane County here, or whoever might be listening. And we've had listeners from as far away as South Africa that have called into the show. So uh, you can be talking to the world on the on the Bose Nose Show, and you know, you can also contact us uh, at any time uh, by email at talk at krbnradio.net. And, uh, you know, if you have a suggestion for a guest or you have a question for the host, something we might address in our next show, a topic or something, uh, just drop us an email. And, of course, we're always available on Facebook. And uh, and additionally, we've got our new uh, app you can get to make it easy to listen to the show, uh, player.fm. So, you know, all sorts of ways to take in the show and all sorts of ways to get into input. But just remember, you can give us a call today because it is your day to control the topic, 646-721-9887. And just press 1 and it lets us know you want to get in on the conversation. So yesterday was special election day here in the state of Oregon. Uh, it's an off year for elections, but in May of 
uh, those off-year elections here in an odd year, um, they elect a bunch of uh, school district boards, uh, water district boards, fire district boards, you know, port boards, uh, you, you name it, all these little local boards that have their elections in May of the odd years. And then also um, there are money measures on the ballot. And Lane County placed a measure on the ballot, uh, 20-271, which was the uh, Lane County Jail and Youth Services levy renewal. And it was a renewal of a levy we actually um, had on the ballot back in 2013. And we're actually, we're doing it a year early because uh, you're allowed under Oregon law after measure five um, to do these operating levies for up to five years. So you have to renew them once every five years. And we're actually only four years into levy. So we wanted to do that a year early so we'd know whether we were going to be running out of money in the next year or so. And it also, uh, when it comes to trying to recruit new deputies to staff the jail or folks over in our youth services department, it's a lot easier to recruit people if you can tell them that they'll have a job for at least six years instead of maybe you know one year and we might get longer than that. Um, so last night, uh, the voters, uh, after the first round of, of results at 8, 8 p.m., it was pretty obvious that the voters had resoundingly reapproved uh, the and renewed the jail levy for another five years, uh, which means we have actually six years of funding for our jail and youth services division uh, that supplements our general fund that goes into those departments because we couldn't meet the promises we made without having general fund matching the levy funds. And that was a pretty resounding vote. Right now, it stands at 72.92% yes and 27.08% no. Uh, and I just, you know, want to thank the voters of Lane County for renewing that levy. Really important to the functions of our public safety system. Had the uh, sheriff on last week. Uh, if you go back and want to listen to the archive show from last week, we talked about how the levies functioned, uh, you know, since it was put in place in 2013 and, and the benefits of it. And, and a little bit about just you know, some of the extra things we've been able to do because we have that levy funding and, and our ability to leverage other funding sources from state and federal grants and really trying to get mental health folks into our jail. And if there is definitely an example of how important it is to have mental health providers involved in jails, one only has to look as far as the city of Florence and the incident they had happen a week ago Monday in their jail where they had uh, two of their, uh, um, you know, actually one of their uh, police officers and one of their corrections officers get um, beat up by somebody they were trying to release. And the guy was just um, so unstable and so aggressive, he attacked uh, the guy that came to his cell to release him, and then the uh, second person on duty who tried to uh, intervene and, and then get back and call, he attacked her, um, smashing both of their heads into the concrete, causing them to have concussions. Um, both of them lost consciousness for a period of time. The, the female guard there actually recovered consciousness and was able to call for help. And that's when the two OSP officers showed up and actually uh, gained control of this particular inmate. 
but uh, it's just an example of, of, you know, somebody with a mental health issue being in a jail situation and how dangerous it is um, to have them there. Uh, and then ultimately, the inmate had a heart attack from all of the exertions um, that he put forward. And it turns out he had an enlarged heart and also a blocked um, artery, uh, and according to the uh, uh, initial autopsy. So uh, he ended up, after while he was sitting there handcuffed, he passed out you know, from a heart attack and ultimately was pronounced dead when he got to the hospital. Uh, so, you know, just a, an example of, um, you know, how difficult uh, jail situations can be and how much of the, the population that you end up dealing with uh, in the criminal justice system at the local level that really is a, a mental health issue and why it's so important for us to wrap mental health services into our jail system, which we are doing here in Lane County. In fact, next week at our board of commissioners meeting, we will be considering and most likely passing a resolution to participate in the National Association of Counties Stepping Up Initiative, which is about trying to keep people with mental health issues out of our criminal justice system at the local level. Uh, and it's something actually I think Lane County is already doing all the programs called for in the Stepping Up uh, Initiative. Uh, we just haven't formally adopted the resolution to participate on a nationwide level. Uh, so we'll be uh, looking forward to that on our board uh, calendar next week. And uh, it just was, you know, one of those nights last night, I got to actually be there um, to get the election results with the sheriff and the DA and our head of our youth services department. And uh, it was just really, um, rewarding when that first result came back and it was so positive and you just knew that's not the kind of result that ever gets overturned. And in fact, it's a really unusual result for a tax measure to be that heavily voted for in favor of. Uh, it just, you know, you rarely see tax measures passed by such a wide margin. And uh, that was just surprising. It was gratifying. I hope some of the reasons it passed by such a large margin were that, you know, we made a definitive choice not to change the levy at all, not to increase the amount, not to change the promises we made for the 255 local beds, the eight detention beds and eight treatment beds in our youth services department. And, uh, you know, all the, the auditing function that we put in there so and separating the money so it can be easily be tracked and the public can know it's being spent the way we promised it was spent. The three clean audits we've had so far, everything that Lane County has been doing to try and control our costs from our health insurance, which by the way, we have not had a rate increase in our health insurance premiums in the last two years, and we're projecting zero increase in our upcoming budgets. So that's three years in a row that Lane County has not had a health insurance premium increase for our employees. I don't think there's an employer in the U.S. just about that can make that same claim. And the reason we've been able to do that is we've been making major changes in how we handle actually wellness, I should say, in Lane County. Everything from how we changed our health insurance programs, uh, you know, 
when I first took office, our seven bargaining units each had their own set of health insurance programs to choose from. So we were managing about 20 different health insurance programs for those seven bargaining units. Shortly after we got there, within a couple of years, we managed to bargain all of those seven units down to two common plans that they share. Uh, and in fact, we've, we've introduced a third plan recently that's even uh, uh, cheaper than those two that we're trying to help people move to, to avoid um, if they ever have the final implementation Affordable Care Act, we don't want to get hit with the Cadillac tax. Uh, one of our, our older plans um, might hit that. But we moved everybody to those two common plans. We went to self-insurance instead of uh, having a third-party provider insurance. We're actually self-insured in Lane County, uh, which saved us a significant amount of money, a couple million dollars a year. And we also opened an employee wellness clinic, uh, which you know some folks criticized us for because you know they felt like it was a big perk for public employees. But it's really about teaching our employees to take care of their health so they don't have as many claims on their insurance. And your rates for the upcoming year are usually based looking back on the claims you've had the previous couple of years and whether the, you know, your insurance is making money or not. And we have been able to change our claims experience so drastically that we've held our health insurance rates flat for three years. And even before then, we were seeing single-digit increases in years where most agencies were seeing double-digit increases over the last four or five years. So we have done, you know, on the cost control side, I think, the, you know, the administration and staff at Lane County have really pitched in with the county commissioners, and we're really trying to control costs, really trying to be transparent to the public. And I'm hoping that's part of why that you know, translated to this this trust that the public showed in us in renewing that five-year levy a year early with a three-to-one almost vote in favor of the levy, which is, you know, just pretty incredible. And I just want to thank the voters for that trust. Hopefully, we can show you that it was uh, well-placed and we'll maintain that trust and continue to move forward and continue to try and control our costs as we move forward uh, in the future. Uh, we're doing everything we can to live within our means. Uh, our proposed budget for the upcoming year is basically almost the same as last year's budget, uh, except for we're not utilizing reserves um, to pay for current operating costs. We've actually managed to control our costs to the point where we were structurally balanced for the upcoming year. Um, by structural balance, I mean that our revenues, not including um, carryover reserves, match what we're going to we're going to have in operating expenses uh, for the upcoming year. So it's really um, been a pretty good story about how we're managing our finances in Lane County, and I hope that the the vote on the jail levy was was partly in recognition of of how we're handling those finances as well as how we chose to put the levy out there with no changes at all. So we you know, didn't confuse people. They knew exactly what we were asking them to vote for because uh, they've seen it in place for three and a half years and what it's been doing. So that's kind of was the big news in Lane County uh, with the election. Of course, several other uh, tax measures or, or um, 
funding levies passed in Lane County, which is uh, not typical that they all pass, but um, the uh, Dexter Rural Fire Department passed their local option levy. Uh, the Junction City uh, Rural Fire Protection District passed their uh, their serial levy also. And even the Fern Ridge Library District passed their, their levy. Um, so all four money measures that were in Lane County all passed. And um, all of them with pretty good margins, probably the lowest margin was the Fern Ridge Library District. And it uh, might've been because they were asking for 10 cents more um, uh, in their rate. They went from 25 cents to 35 cents. Um, and uh, it was only a 62% yes vote for them. So that's kind of the election news from yesterday in Lane County. Statewide, there are a couple interesting things. Uh, Josephine County was finally able to pass uh, a modest, modest levy to help them with some of their financial issues. They've tried multiple times and, and failed, barely passed, or is barely passing, I should say. And then um, Lincoln County had a measure on that was going to ban aerial pesticide spraying, and that is so close, it's it you can't call the election. At this point, I think the yes votes are leading by about 18 votes. Um, out of, you know, about 20,000 votes cast or so. So um, that one's going to go on for a while yet. Um, I'm sure it's probably going to go to a recount. Um, and uh, it ultimately, that's a, it, that one is even questionable whether it was uh, legal and going to be overturned in the courts after, if it does pass. So uh, that was kind of interesting because I kind of had a feeling, you know, Lincoln County um, tends to lead lean fairly um, uh, on the on the liberal side uh, of of the the you know spectrum. Uh, most of their county commissioners are Democrats. Um, most of their city councils are dominated by Democrats. And I kind of expected this to pass by a fairly large margin there, but apparently um, the understanding that it might not even be a legal measure held it back, and uh, it, it's. Too close to call whether their aerial spray of pesticides is going to be banned in Lincoln County or not. So, any thoughts you might have on last night's election uh, results and uh, election results in general, you can give me a call at 646 721 9887 here at the Bose Nose Show, and you can get in and talk to me, your host, Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. And just press one, and that lets Robin, my call screener, producer extraordinaire, know that you want to get in on the air. And uh, we'll get you right on, on the show here because we got nobody waiting. And uh, we can talk about what you want to talk about rather than all the things that are bouncing around in Jay Bozovich's head at the moment, uh, which are quite a few things because it's been a busy couple of weeks. I know we. I uh, had to miss the show a couple weeks ago because I had a, uh, I think, a budget committee meeting or I was in Salem. I can't remember which it was that, that week. And then I had the sheriff on last week, so it was dominated talking about the jail levy we just talked about. But in that three weeks since I've had a free-for-all show, um, I've probably been in Salem at least six times uh, to either testify at hearings or to lobby personally for uh, uh, various uh, aspects of the budget or bills that Lane County's uh, looking to pass or even our courthouse funding. 
so uh, we can talk about Salem and some of the stuff going on up there. I, I, I just have to, to stop for a minute and talk about the Elliott State Forest. Um, this is, uh, a, you know, for those of you that are that are outside of of Oregon and may not be aware, the state of Oregon uh, owns forest land, and and quite a, quite often it's owned through the state uh, school funds uh, in a trust sort of way, where it's supposed to be harvested for uh, timber production specifically to go have the proceeds of those timber sales go into this common school fund to fund our K through 12 education system. The, the problem is, is the state's gotten so bad at managing their forest and has, has changed their you know, management style where they, they, they're, you know, whereas a lot of these lands were placed into trust under, under basically a single use timber production uh, and timber management, that they, they've gone to this multi-use and, and a redefinition of highest value uh, and, and, and all sorts of crazy things to where they can't seem to manage a, one of the most highly productive pieces of property in, in the entire United States when it comes to timber. The Elliott State Forest basically sits um, down near uh, Coos and Douglas counties um, uh, lines there in an area of the coastal range that is one of the most greatest places in the world to grow Douglas fir trees. You know, there's no better place than the coast range of Oregon's, you know, in, in Oregon to grow Douglas fir. It, it's the perfect climate for it, grows super fast. Douglas fir is also one of the best dimensional lumber products you can have. Uh, folks may not understand the engineering aspects of it, but it has the best modulus of elasticity that any other uh, wood product has. So it's stronger than other uh, dimensional lumber. You know, your, your yellow, your, your pines from the, from the southeast don't match up to Doug fir when it comes to strength. So it means that you can actually build um, more stronger structures for the same size uh, piece of dimensional lumber. So it just, you know, it's the best uh, tree to use for dimensional lumber and it grows the best in the world here in, in the Coast Range, Oregon. Yet the state of Oregon could not manage that forest in a way where it made money. It's actually been taking money out of the common school fund to continue to own that forest. So it's actually been a negative in the state's budget for the past decade almost because they're mismanaging it so badly. So uh, the state decided a few years back that they were going to sell off the Elliott Forest. Um, and in doing so, they preconditioned the sale with all sorts of environmental constraints. And then they said, you can't, this is the amount we're selling it for. You can't bid higher or lower this is the, 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 the value we're setting, which was about $200 million, uh, which is way below the value of the actual forest, uh, if it was private forest land. 
And uh, that's just, you know, ultimately it had so many constraints and they suppressed that value down to 200 million. It's actually worth about a billion dollars, but that's a whole nother, another story about talking about valuation that um, they only got one bidder, which was the Lone Rock Timber Company in combination with uh, one of the, the, the tribes here, uh, the Confederated Tribes of uh, Kus, uh, Lower Unqua, and Saisla Indians. And um, that joint bid was the only bid, and it was in process to be sold and was going through that process. And the state land board, which consisted of the governor, the state treasurer, and the secretary of state, had actually voted two to two to one to complete the sale. And then the governor pulled the whole thing off the table, rearranged the whole thing, and somehow or another convinced the other two members, and I don't know what kind of political arm twisting was done, uh, to support them not selling it, which I'm kind of curious what's going to happen uh, in court between Lone Rock uh, Timber and the state. Uh, with some of the expenditures that Lone Rock's already made in, in preparing for that sale. Um, that's yet to come. Those costs will be interesting. But the way they're going to do this is they're going to take $100 million in state bonds and buy the forest from themselves. Okay, let me repeat that again. The state of Oregon is going to buy the forest from the state of Oregon. So with $100 million in bond funds, which the taxpayers of Oregon are going to have to pay the debt service on and repay back. Okay. So, wait, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> We're going, the Oregon, Oregon is going to buy it from Oregon. Boy, that's going to be a tough bid. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it's they're purchasing it out of the common school fund and putting it somewhere else. I'm not quite sure why they have to buy it from themselves. Um, and then, uh, you know, a bunch of it's going to be set aside as, as permanent wilderness or something. I don't know what they're going to do with it. Um, and I don't know what, you know, the rest of it's going to be utilized for, but, uh, the whole idea of using bond monies then gets to compete with, other uses of those bonds because the state doesn't have unlimited bond funding. In fact, they only have about 200 million every biennium right now in bonding capacity of that particular kind of bond, which is called a Q bond, which is being paid for out of um, income tax revenues. These are the same bonds that all of the counties are asking to have to utilize for courthouse uh, replacement projects, which are, you know, the, the state's courthouses in some counties are just incredibly outdated, including Lane counties, which was built back in the 50s, back when we had a whole lot less people in Lane County. And when you look forward for the next 50 years, our, it will never supply the, uh, the needs of Lane County. But it's also, um, there's a request from University of Oregon to utilize those same bonds to do matching funds to Phil and Penny Knight, who promised a half a billion dollars over 10 years to build the Knight Applied Science Campus here on, at the University of Oregon. 
And, you know, you wonder why should you be interested in that? Well, that campus is kind of the equivalent to what's been done in some other college campuses and areas we kind of know pretty well for being pretty economically um, up and coming, like the area around San Jose, California, better known as Silicon Valley. Their college campuses have done similar applied science campuses. Uh, Research Triangle area uh, around the universities in uh, the um, Raleigh-Durham area of, of North Carolina. Uh, there's other, area, other areas that have done that. Kind of what's interesting about the University of Oregon is they do some really hard um, scientific research that's done really well. And, and you know, it's the, the real deep science of discovering things. What they don't have at the University of Oregon is how to take those discoveries and make them into something useful. And that's, you know, the applied science side of things. And this campus uh, could generate, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in economic activity for the state of Oregon, if not billions. And, be, you know, becoming a focal point of, you know, for the tech sector and, and for the uh, advanced uh, pharmaceuticals and all the, um, you know, uh, medical side of things. It's just, uh, you know, could be a, a huge thing for the state of Oregon. So between the courthouses and the University of Oregon looking for some of that coupon funding, this purchase of the Elliott State Forest is basically going to close one or the other out of there because they're basically using up half that bond uh, funding amount for the biennium, which means you're either going to, you know, not be able to fund the night campus, we're not going to be able to fund the, the approximately $90 million in, in courthouse requests from various counties. So um, my guess is they're probably going to kick the night campus out, which kind of endangers the, the, the gift that Phil and Penny, um, you know, have made to the, uh, uh, the University of Oregon. Also, we can buy a forest from the state of Oregon to keep it in the state of Oregon's ownership instead of letting it go into private ownership where it will actually produce jobs and economic activity in two counties that desperately need it. Douglas and Coos County are, are you know, need economic activity. Um, also with the tribes purchasing a portion of it, you know, the tribes have shown an incredible ability to, to manage land well and manage land uh, both environmentally sensitively, but also economically well. So it's kind of, you know, between Lone Rock and the tribes, I was actually looking forward to seeing some good management done on these lands, even with the handcuffs the state put on the sale in the first place, where a certain amount has to be set aside environmentally on the get-go. That's why the, the value, it was only valued at 200 million instead of a billion. Um, but I, I don't understand the the resistance to selling off the Elliott. What I don't understand in the first place is the failure to manage it well enough that it's not costing the state money. Should be a money maker and a job producer for the state of Oregon, but it's not. Then I don't understand going backwards on a sale, which would have turned it into a job producer and money maker for the state of Oregon. But think about this also. 
instead of getting $200 million into the common school fund, which could start earning interest to pay for K through 12 education on an annual basis, you know, invested in the stock market or whatever else, we are going to go $100 million in debt and have to pay interest on that. Think about the swing that is for the state in cost to the state. You know, just right off the bat, there's 300 million swing in just the 200 million in income they would have gotten from the sale versus the 100 million in debt they're going to take in. And then when you start talking about the swing from interest earned on the 200 million versus interest paid on the 100 million, um, it, it's going to be, you know, just, you know, half a billion dollars probably difference for the state of Oregon over the next 10 years. It, it, you know, is that a wise decision fiscally for the state? You know, it just amazes me, you know, when you talk about the sale, the, the Salem shenanigans, this is just a perfect example of why sometimes people don't trust government and, and why it sometimes bleeds down to the county level as we're trying to, you know, renew a, a jail levy. It's, it was my biggest fear you know, in, in going out for this jail levy renewal was that we would be painted by this, with the same brush that all government gets painted with. As people see things like this Elliott Forest, Cover Oregon, uh, the Columbia River Crossing debacle, uh, you name it, you know, uh, Eugene City Hall, uh, you know, everybody sees government do some strange things sometimes. And sometimes they can't tell the difference between one government versus another, and we all get painted with that same brush. And uh, it's really, um, you know, was one of my concerns. And what I what I really appreciate about last night's election results is it seems like folks were able to tell that difference and able to separate us from the state of Oregon or the city of Eugene or the federal government, you know, ODOT, whatever, and understand that Lane County has been doing what we can to maintain uh, good financial management, spending uh, your tax dollars the way we promised to, and being transparent about that, having an audit function so people could know that we were spending it that way. And I really uh, appreciated the yes vote on the jail levy. Uh, uh, unlike, I, I, you know, this whole Elliott Forest sale is, is just an amazing um, demonstration of sometimes government not uh, thinking things through very carefully. So this is, again is the Bose Nose Show and it's a free for all day so you can control the topic. Uh, just give us a call here at 646-721-9887 and uh, yeah, we'll talk about what you want to talk about. We can talk about the Elliott State Forest, we can talk about the election yesterday, or, you know, whatever comes to mind uh, for uh, you and and that's your choice because this is really your program, the Bose Nose Show. It, you know, it's what I do to try and give people a chance to talk to their county commissioner, maybe to hear a little news and maybe some in-depth background to some county and state issues uh, they may not hear about uh, and just keep people informed. 
But again, the number is 646-721-9887, and just press one, and that lets uh, Robin, my call screener, producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. So uh, moving on from the Elliott State Forest and uh, other things, you know, there, there's been several things that have gone around uh, that we haven't had a chance to talk about too much. And uh, one of those was uh, the uh, the whole uh, FEMA biological opinion and floodplain issue we haven't really had a chance to talk about. They kind of got a little controversial about two weeks ago for um, a commissioner's meeting for just about, you know, typical news cycle of about 15 minutes. But uh, we decided to enter into a, a lawsuit um, objecting to the biological opinions, reasonable and prudent alternatives for the state of Oregon. Um, and that was NOAA's biological opinion on the flood insurance program that FEMA runs. Uh, and they wrote up a set of, uh, all, you know, what they call reasonable and prudent alternatives that steer um, your uh, steer the, the, the use of, of floodplain and floodways and buffers from floodplains and floodways uh, for Oregon uh, because FEMA supplies flood insurance, and that's the nexus of the, uh, the biological opinion and reasonable prudent alternatives. And what they did was they had, had a, it all started from uh, a lawsuit in the state of Washington. So the first biological opinion was written up there for Washington, and the reasonable and prudent alternatives written up there got basically copied and pasted for Oregon with probably the only difference is they took out some of the flexibility in the version that they did for Washington state about a year or so earlier and uh, didn't look at Oregon's land use laws are different than Washington's. Oregon has programs that actually um, help uh, rehabilitate uh, floodplain functions in our watershed councils and our uh, Watershed Enhancement Board that's funded uh, through the state lottery. Um, none of that was recognized, the differences between the state of Washington and the state of Oregon in the biological opinion. And that's one of the reasons uh, we chose to participate in a lawsuit. Uh, it really will cause some problems for our urban growth boundaries in the state because it's going to make a lot of land that we had thought of as buildable inside these urban growth boundaries, which are supposed to have a 20-year supply of buildable land, unbuildable under the reasonable and prudent alternatives, which is going to cause a lot of cities to have to relook at their urban growth boundaries and expand outward. And more often than not, that outward expansion is going to be onto farmland, which is what we like to preserve. And what the reasonable and prudent alternatives did not recognize is Oregon's um, land use laws really preserve a lot of forest and farmland and try and create compact urban growth. And they don't have a different set of rules inside a UGB versus outside of a UGB. And that's really the, the, the biggest problem and the crux of the problem with it. Um, what got played out somewhat in the press was, at least in some of the press, was that we were trying, you know, the reason these were all written was to protect salmon. 
that for some reason the Board of Commissioners didn't want to protect salmon, which is the farthest from the truth. We believe in protecting salmon. We just believe that the protections proposed by NOAA and FEMA are the wrong set of protections and it actually will cause more harm in the long run by exploding urban growth boundaries and causing sprawl than they will in, in actually protecting floodplain functions. So um, that was kind of an interesting little side thing that happened a couple of weeks ago when I didn't have a chance to talk about it here on the, on the Bo's Nose show. But again, um, you want to get in on the show, you can give us a call at 646-721-9887 if you want to join the show. And, you know, on a completely different note, we went to Florence today as a board of commissioners. Um, we do this occasionally. We'll hold meetings in, in other cities. Uh, we've held board meetings as far away as Oak Ridge and down into Florence. Um, and we went there for a specific purpose, which was to have a joint meeting with the city of Florence City Council and their uh, Florence Urban Renewal Agency to talk about a project that Florence is trying to get done in cooperation with ODOT as ODOT was looking at um, uh, ADA uh, accessibility improvements to sidewalks in, in Highway 101-126 as it comes through downtown Florence there um, and paving improvements. Uh, the city of Florence uh, urban renewal folks were looking at how can they make that stretch uh, from where you enter Florence uh, from the east on 126 and then you make that left to the south on, on 101 to the bridge, how you can make that section um, more inviting for folks to actually stop uh, and actually direct, direct people better into Old Town Florence where there's quite a few um, you know, tourist activities and just the beauty of, of Old Town Florence and the marina and the port there. Um, you know, being able to see the Sayusaw River Bridge from down below versus just driving over the top of it. You don't quite appreciate how beautiful that bridge is uh, with the dunes in the background. The view from Old Old Town is just pretty, pretty incredible. Um, and basically, we met with them and reviewed the project and, and they're looking at getting some gap funding uh, to get the project done. It's you know, about a seven million, seven and a half million dollar project and they're short about a million and a half dollars right now. So we had some discussions about whether or not we can help them out short term with some transient room tax funding and long term with uh, helping apply for additional funding from other agencies uh, and leveraging maybe some transient room taxes match for uh, other funding. So uh, interesting conversation there, but it's always good to get over to Florence. Um, beautiful little city. In fact, I think it just got second place as the um, most beautiful small town in the Pacific Northwest, which um, included uh, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, uh, state of Washington, not just the coastline of, of uh, uh, Washington or, or Oregon. So it was a, a very large geographic region that they just came in second place. Um, and I think they got um, a, a recognition last year for being one of the most beautiful coastal towns. Um, so they're, they're kind of a uh, you know, really moving ahead uh, as, they, as their their motto is a city in motion right now, and, and they're they are in motion, trying to move ahead and trying to 
do things that are going to spur economic development in their town. And they think that this uh, infrastructure project on 101 and 126 is really going to spur a lot of growth in their city. And yeah, you know, there's a lot of evidence in the past that says those kind of things do do that. Um, when when cities in, invest in a piece of infrastructure wisely, it can lead to a lot of investment. And probably the best example of that's right uh, here in Lane County in Springfield, where they invested, you know, several million dollars in street improvements in the Gateway area, you know, International Way. Uh, and several other streets in that area were improved using public funds uh, and matching funds from the county back in the 90s and then it, and further improvements through the 2000s. And lo and behold, there was about a billion dollars in private sector investment that was made in the Gateway area that followed those infrastructure improvements. Uh, you know, there at one point there were uh, as many aerial cranes up in the gateway area as there were in downtown Portland. Um, you know, pretty, pretty amazing success story and where infrastructure investments by the public sometimes can lead to really um, incredible private sector economic development in the following, you know, following times, uh, which kind of leads me to a whole nother aspect going on in Salem not quite as crazy as the L.A. State Forest, but the, the uh, folks up there finally are getting down to uh, outlining what they're thinking about doing for a transportation package. Uh, lots of meetings over the last couple of years, big joint committee on transportation. They actually came here to uh, Lane County last summer, I think, uh, where I actually got to help lead a tour on a bus where we got to go look at um, you know, different roads in Lane County, like 6th and 7th Avenue, which are state highways inside the city of Eugene. And then we let them up Delta Highway, which uh, looks like a state highway, but it's actually a county-owned roadway. And then we got on the Beltline Highway, which is definitely a state highway, and uh, saw the congestion there and the issues and went past um, a successful project in the I-5 um, Beltline improvements out there and some of what we've been able to do there. Um, it was it was a pretty interesting tour, but they, you know, after a full year of, of meetings and then he had sub subcommittees on revenue and subcommittees on projects and various aspects, mass transit, whatever, all came back together and put together um, what the package is going to look like uh, and announced that last week. And I'll have to say that in general, uh, it, it, I'm, I'm supporting the idea of moving ahead with a package. Uh, in fact, you know, even though it includes quite a bit of tax increases in contained in the package, it takes, you know, revenue to actually build infrastructure. And one of the things, um, you know, without timber money coming into the state of Oregon, we've really let our infrastructure go over the last 20 years. And, uh, you know, we look at Lane County, we have $6 billion in infrastructure value in our roadway system. That is, um, you know, significant amount of money. Uh, but our capital based on what we get in gas tax money and 
federal timber receipts and, and uh, our share of vehicle registration fees and all that, we can only spend about $3 million a year to maintain that $6 billion asset. And, you know, just looking at that difference, you know, that's not going to get to that, that you know, renewal and replacement of that asset fast enough before it deteriorates to the point where it's falling down and it's going to cost us 10 to 12 times more to replace it versus just to maintain it. So, um, you know, that's what, you know, Lane County is looking at. Other counties and cities, you know, that are in, in more timber dependent, like Josephine County and Curry County, uh, some of the eastern Oregon counties, um, they're in even worse shape. And even our state highway system hasn't been invested in well uh, over the past 20 years. So we're behind. Um, you know, one only has to look at uh, the city of Eugene having to pass bond measures to completely rebuild streets. That's not the way to maintain infrastructure, to wait till it's so broken you have to renew and re you have to completely rebuild it. You really want to just maintain it and extend the life. And uh, the transportation package that Salem's put together, pretty balanced, um, not real happy about the payroll tax for mass transit. But overall, most of the, uh, the taxes and fees they're talking about are user fees, that the people that actually use the transportation infrastructure will be paying for it, either through gas tax, um, vehicle registration fee, they're talking about a new car tax, and even a new bicycle tax to help pay for bicycle improvements. Um, it, it's a reasonable balance of, of fees and taxes to make a significant investment in Oregon's transportation infrastructure, which is what our economy runs on. When you think about it, um, you know, that's how we get goods and services to and from. You know, freight movement, um, you know, think about everybody talks about now the new e-commerce and the internet and somehow or another, you got to get the, um, the product from Amazon in their big warehouse in Seattle or wherever it is to your doorstep, you know, and in order to get it there, it's got to drive over roads that are state owned, that are county owned and then city owned. And uh, if we're not maintaining those roads, uh, it's quite an issue. And then there's also a resilience issue involved too. We have to really keep our bridges and roads, you know, prepared for uh, natural disaster and able to withstand and, and uh, be, be able to help us recover from a natural disaster, whether it's, you know, having enough capacity under, you know, with culverts and all that are correct size so that when we have the next big, you know, 96 storm event that causes a lot of flood damage, you know, hopefully we won't have as much because the culverts are big enough and they don't wipe entire roads out to even our bridges being able to withstand the uh, subduction zone earthquake so that when we have it, we can get, um, you know, emergency services over to the coast after the tsunamis and um, get people you know, evacuated. Um, right now, if we were to have the subduction zone earthquake today, most of the bridges between the valley and the Oregon coast are going to be down or unserviceable or unsafe and getting help to and from the coast is going to be extremely difficult. 
And we need to make some major investments in that uh, bridge infrastructure over the next uh, 10 to 20 years. And the, the transportation package, as outlined, um, will help us do that. So again, this is the Bose Nose Show. Got a little over 10 minutes left, uh, a little less than 10 minutes left in the program here. So, But you still have a chance to get in and ask me a question at 646-721-9887. Just press one if you want to get in on the conversation. Um, and that lets our call screener know you want to get in on the conversation. Um, anything's fair game today. You can control the conversation. Of course, uh, you know, we've been kind of wandering in subjects here. Uh, started talking about elections, sale of state forest, transportation bills, uh, floodplain regulations, you know, you name it, we can talk about it. Uh, you know, it's all up fair game. Anything from a past show, we can reach back to the show where I had the folk, the uh, representative from the Oregon Realtors Association on to talk about House Bill 2004, which would allow for uh, rent control and other um, landlord tenant laws that would probably restrict our housing supply here in Oregon versus make it um, cheaper, which was the intent of the bill. Um, any of those subjects are fair game. Uh, we can talk about the Trump administration if you want to, but frankly, I'm a little bit tired because it seems to be all, all Trump all day long uh, about you name it. Uh, and I'm, I'm just, I'm fatigued when it comes to this confidential source or this leak or this thing was read to a reporter or, you know, whatever. <laughs> and, and none of it seems to be um, uh, confirmed or proven out and all that. And so we're all talking about various uh, anonymous allegations, one side or the other and denials that can't, can't be uh, confirmed either from, from the administration side. So it's all supposition but it seems to be going 24 seven. And, and frankly, I just like to kind of, you know, let some of that stuff go focused on the local here, which is of course what I'm elected to do and uh, concentrate on just doing the right thing here in Lane County, keeping us out of the newspapers as much as possible because we're running a tight ship, staying open and transparent, uh, minding your dollars the way we should be minding them. And uh, you know, hopefully getting election results in the future like we got yesterday where we get the support of 73 percent of the voters that chose to vote uh, supporting a, a uh, levy uh, to keep jail beds open and keep some critical use services going here in Lane County. Okay, if I can and, yeah Robin. Yeah in the last four minutes uh, maybe this will also kind of get your steam coming out of your ears as well because we didn't get a chance to talk about it red light cameras oh yeah yeah we yeah there there was also some you know speaking of sale and shenanigans um there's also some talk about making uh it easier to put red light cameras in around oregon and not only red light cameras but cameras that could issue speeding tickets because they would have under pavement sensors that could also track your speed as you went through an intersection so, you know, we all know that there was somebody that was recently fined for um, uh, acting as an engineer or representing himself as an engineer who was fighting the whole yellow light timing. 
because what happens a lot of times is when they install a red light camera, they shorten the yellow um, so that more people run the red light so that they can justify the red light camera and the revenue it will generate. So yeah, you can get me fired up about red light cameras a little bit, um, you know, the, but uh, it, it is, you know, a safety aspect too. Um, people shouldn't be running red lights, but what they have been able to statistically show is extending the yellow by anywhere from one to one and a half seconds of additional yellow light actually stops most red light running. You know, it, it's about how long that yellow signal is and also having a, at least a half second or more where all lights are red in an intersection. Exactly. Yeah. And, and a lot of people don't know that the, um, the cities and stuff don't own the red light system, that it's uh, from a, a third party who gets a percentage of the, the tickets. Which is why they shorten the yellow up, <laughs> which I think is just criminal in some ways. It's almost entrapment. Because, you know, people will get so used to, well, the yellow on this light's pretty long. I can, you know, I'd rather than throw all my groceries on the floor off the seat of my car, I'm going to go ahead and, and just maintain my speed through the intersection because I know I'm going to clear it well before it turns red. You know, because I'm too close, too close to the line to just slam on the brakes. In fact, I may not even be able to stop by the stop bar. Um, when they shorten those yellows up, it just, you know, catches those people that weren't really intending to break the law, make some lawbreakers. And I just, I think that's an entrapment in a way. And I think uh, it's not a way we ought to be going. If we are going to install cameras, they ought to be owned by the municipalities that place them there. And they should be required to extend the yellow um, from what it is now. That there, there ought to be legally a requirement to add a second of yellow light um, to all intersections that have automatic ticketing systems. Okay. You know, that that's the that's they're the, also dangerous as well because people slam on the brake to try not to get a ticket. Yeah, yeah, because people know there's a camera system. They have them in Delaware, and I have watched that happen. There's a lot of rear end accidents where somebody all of a sudden goes, "Oh crap!" You know, and throws the brakes on, and they get rear ended by the person behind them because you know, the person in front of them is just like panicking about the fact they don't want to get a ticket because they can't afford it. Yeah, you know, that you know, those those red light tickets are not exactly cheap. Yeah, so uh with a couple seconds left, I did want to mention one other thing, which is the low turnout in yesterday's election. And and just place this in folks' minds before we go off the air. We passed motor voter a couple years ago. Uh, and required that, you know, everybody be automatically registered to vote when they get their driver's license here in Oregon. And for Lane County, that's added 40,000 people to our voter rolls. And uh, that, you know, is a lot of people to add. And suddenly we have like 25% turnout in our elections. Maybe it's because all those people that were added automatically, would, you know, weren't going to vote anyway. And what was really the, the use of adding all those extra people uh, to the voter rolls, you know, and adding that cost to local government without, you know, compensation? Because Lane County folks pay for those elections. So just a parting thought there. Think about the low turnout and motor voter. Um, and that's going to about wrap it up for the Bo's Nose Show here this week. 
And I appreciate you listening. And maybe next week you can give us a call here at the Bo's Nose Show. Thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you next week when maybe we'll be passing a budget here in Lane County. Good night. And thank you for listening to the Bo's Nose Show. Have a great week.